0: Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. Coming up is a word from Pastor Kong Hee. This week I've been meditating on two passages in Psalms. They are quite interesting. And the first one is from Psalms 34 and verses 3 to 5. Psalm 24 verse 3 to verse 5. It says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. But focus on verse 3 Who may ascend into the heel of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? Now, there's another passage that David wrote. It's Psalms 15 and verses 1 and 2. And it sounds almost identical. So let's just look at the first two verses. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. I want you to see a comparison over here. Verse 24 or chapter 24 talks about ascending up to the hill of the Lord. Chapter 15 talks about abiding in his tabernacle. One talks about ascending, the other one talks about abiding. One talks about standing in God's presence, the other one talks about dwelling in his presence. When you stand, it's a, for a momentary experience because you won't stand there forever, you'll leave the place. But when you're dwelling, you're talking about a continuous communion, almost something permanent that causes you to carry with you every single day of your life. You see, God yearns for us to ascend out of ourselves and come into an abiding relationship in Him, to abide in Christ to abide in God. More than 160 times the Bible talks about being in Christ, being in Christ. John 15 talks about abiding in Christ, abiding in Christ. Now, then there's a, another interesting passage. In the Old Testament God told his people, Leviticus chapter 26 verses 11 to 12, I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your god and you shall be my people so god talks about walking among us dwelling among us being among us but when we come to the new testament this passage was quoted again it was quoted by paul in corinthians first second corinthians chapter 6 but paul took the liberty because of what Jesus Christ had done on the cross, He changed the preposition a little bit. He says, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. From walking among you to dwelling, or to, to be walking in you. From dwelling among you to be dwelling in you. So you see, something happened because of Jesus Christ. God brings us into a continuous communion with Him, which is what He's yearning for. So often, you know, my little boy Dayan and his church friends will come and stay in our homes. In fact, most weekends, I have one of his church mates coming and spending the weekend with us or during the holiday seasons. And when they come to our house, there'll be lots of food, lots of fun, games, playing soccer, watching television. Sometimes, especially if it's over a long weekend, they'll stay for two nights, sometimes three nights. And then they will come and say to us, Pastor Kong, Auntie Sun, thank you for all the food. We enjoy ourselves. We'll never forget this weekend. But goodbye, we're going home. Bye. They will leave. But my little boy, Dayan, he will stay in the house. <laughs> He's not going to go anywhere. Why? Because this is home. He wants to be close to Daddy. He wants to be close to Mommy. In fact, every single day, I miss him. Sometimes I miss him so much, I just got to call him up just to hear his voice. What are you doing now? just want to hear his sometimes whiny voice. Yeah, Dad, Dad, wah, 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 wah. It's the same with God. God allows us and He extends His visit for us to come into His kingdom. He shares His glories with us. He whips up the best spiritual food so that we are fed, so that we enjoy a touch from Him. But you know what? Some will bid Him goodbye and say, God, Man, that one touch from you, I will never forget for the rest of my life until the day I die. But others would say, Father, where can I go from your presence? I want to dwell in your presence continuously. I want to linger in your presence permanently. Because once we have a taste, a foretaste of the goodness of God, It should develop a desire in us, a hunger in us to want to permanently dwell in His presence. You know, during my early days of ministry, I really wanted to serve the Lord. So every single week, I spent a lot of time studying the Bible, reading through the Bible again and again. I prayed very hard until my voice usually became very hoarse. In fact, in those days, it's weird. You know, we, we, among the preachers, we have this tendency to challenge one another. If, if you have a husky voice, it means you're a man of God. You're in prayer a lot. and I found that to be very silly because if our voice box is damaged, how are we going to preach the gospel, right? And so I will work very hard on my sermons during the weekdays. And come Saturday, I'll be praying and I'll be, I'll be wanting to feel the presence. I want to get really spiritual so that I will have the anointing to preach. See, back then, as a young preacher, I didn't know it's possible to live with God in the communion of the Holy Spirit. So, what I understood was this the Holy Spirit is just a force and anointing that empowers me for ministry when I need the power for prayer meetings, when I need the power to preach, when I need the power to do something in the kingdom, well, that's the time He shows up. But I didn't have much of an intimate relationship or fellowship with Him. I didn't know back then I could be walking into a shopping mall and the Holy Spirit could have sweet communion with me even while I'm walking. I didn't know that when I'm driving in a car in a busy traffic, the Holy Spirit can show up. And right there in the car, I could be worshiping Him and He could be giving me His revelation on what I needed to do or what He wanted to share with me. The Bible says this, where there's no vision, the people perish. I like what the Berkeley translation says, where there's no vision, the people run wild. We begin to cast off all restraint. There's no more restraint in us because we have no vision of something greater or something higher. King David wanted to go beyond just the ascent, just climbing up, just standing momentarily to get a touch from God. He wanted to know how to abide. So he said, God, I want to abide in your presence, I want to dwell in your presence. I want to have continuous, intimate communion with you. So he wrote Psalms 15 to abide in God's presence. Here's King David, and he gives us a few adjustments that we must make in our lives. I like the word adjustments. Because what he is sharing is not something we don't know. We all know this all our lives as believers. But we need to make some adjustment. Tweak a little bit here, a little bit there, especially for us as a church of 25 years. You have grown up in church. Make some adjustment. And you're going to come into the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit and the sweet communion of God every moment of your life. Tonight, we're just going to look at two of them, right? In fact, we're going to look at just possibly, I would say, one and a half. and I've explained to you why. A few adjustments. Number one, we need to adjust our walk. We need to adjust our walk. Psalm 15, verse 1 and 2 again. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? The first thing he says, he who walks uprightly. Last week, I shared with you our Christian experience is a daily walk with Jesus Christ. So, because I shared already, this is like half a point. <laughs> I'm just going to go really fast. Jesus had thousands following Him. At one time, 5,000 men followed Him. If you included, or if you include the, the women and the children, some say you could go as high as 20,000. Then He had the 70 that He sent out, two by two by two. And then He had 12 disciples. Now, to the 12 disciples... Jesus said something He didn't say to anyone except the rich young ruler. He said, follow me. He used the phrase, follow me. Very special. But to follow Jesus means to walk with Jesus. Right? If you're following somebody, means you're walking with Him. Jesus says, come, follow me. So you walk with Him. For Peter, James, and John, and for all the rest of the disciples, to follow Jesus means they got to make some adjustments to their lifestyle. They got to make some adjustments to their priorities because Peter, James, and John, they were fishermen. They can't be living in a boat and walking with Jesus on the land simultaneously, right? The two things cannot happen at the same time. So they put their nets behind They put their boats behind. They made some adjustments in their lives. Follow me is one of Jesus' highest calling for any one of us. Jesus says, my sheep hears my voice and they follow me. How many of you here, you are a sheep of Jesus Christ? Put up your hands, yeah? My sheep hears my voice and they follow me. So 36 times, In the Bible, the New Testament says, walk with God. Walk with God. That means follow Him. Walk, walk every single day. It's a walk continuously, permanently. As you abide in Jesus Christ, it's a daily, continuous walk with Him. So last week, I talked about four things. You got to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. you got to walk in faith, and not in fear. you got to walk in light, and not in darkness. And then, you got to walk in love, and not in lust. Now, I have covered all of them last week. But tonight, I just want to focus on the last point, just to build a little bit, because I, I feel that that's important for us as a church, before we move on to the next thing. you got to walk in love. Everybody say, I will walk in love. love. Say like you really believe it. Say, I will walk in love. Walk in love love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us. Walk in love. If we want to abide in God's presence, love must be the key. Why? Because the Bible says God is love. You know, you don't find a lot of defining terms about God because it's hard to define God. I mean, God is so great. He's so awesome. How do you define God with a sentence? But this is one of the few defining terms. God is love. In other words, He doesn't just have love. He is love. He is love personified. So love is the very nature of God. Ephesians 3, verse 17 to 19 says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be able to know the love of Christ, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So love brings us into all the fullness of God. If you want more of God, you must yield yourself more, to the love of God. Love is not just a feeling. It is a commitment that often produces that sensation. So love is a feeling. Now, don't get that mixed up. It is a feeling. But it's not just a feeling. It is a commitment. And the more you commit yourself to love God, to love your family, to love people, the more the sensation will come. So that is why I want to say one thing. Don't just fall in love. The Bible principle is rise to love. Don't just fall in love because you can fall out. Rise up to the love nature that God wants us to have. Because love can function faithfully even when you don't have the feeling. You can still function faithfully in love even when the sensation is not there. Why? Because love is God's nature. When you love somebody, you're sharing God's nature with the person. God changes not. So when we share the nature of God, it doesn't matter if feel like it or not. That is why love is the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, peace, joy. The first fruit that ripens. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's love. When you lose that love for Him, for others, for the members in the church, for your cell group, that's a good indication of how much of the Holy Spirit you're yielding yourself to. You see, it is the first fruit. So it can't be otherwise. There can't be any other way because love is the very nature of God. So here is where I want to share what I want to share with you tonight on this point. Four times in the New Testament, the husband is commanded to love his wife, to love his wife, to love his wife, to love his wife. How many times? Four times. All right? Ephesians 5.25, Husbands love must love their wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 28, Men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. So I know a lot of you guys, you work out in the gym, you really buff up. Well, love your wife as much as you love the gym. Verse 33, He that loves his wife loves himself. Colossians 3.19, this is the fourth time. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. You know, the command to love uses the strongest Greek word possible for love. It is the word agape. Everybody say agape. Agape. Say five times louder, say agape. Agape. All right? Agape means unconditional love. Love selflessly. Love unconditionally. Love with no strings attached. It's a self giving love. It's a, a love of devotion. For God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross, taking a risk that so many may not receive Him or appreciate Him. But no conditions. It's agape love. It's the love of God. Now, we men are commanded to agape our wives. It's a love of devotion. You say, Pastor, what's the big deal? The big deal here is this. What's interesting here is that for the woman, there's only one instruction to love in the Bible concerning the husband. So for the woman, in fact, it is not even a command. It's more like a suggestion. <laughs> the closest instruction to love a man is found in Titus 2 verse 4. It's talking to older women to remind the younger girls, admonish the young women to love their husband and to love their children. And you know what? That word love is not agape. It is the Greek word philia. I begin to realize one thing. God wants men to agape their wife, but He only expects Wife to filial the husband. Man, I could immediately hear some of you girls say, Oh, hallelujah, finally. Now, the word filio means brotherly, sisterly love. Love like a friend. To be fond of a person. So, the Bible is saying this. Wives, those of you who are married, please be fond of your husband. Be a good friend to him. Have a good team spirit with the husband and the children. And is a suggestion. Try. <laughs> that tells us one thing. Women are not designed to agape. Let me rephrase that. Let me make that clear. Women are not designed to initiate agape love. (sighs) And it makes sense. Because, it makes sense. Because husband must love the wife like Jesus Christ loves the church. Jesus, agape us so much, He died for us. Simon Peter said, I can only feel you. But one touch of His agape love is enough for us to rise up and say, Jesus, we will lay down our lives for you. So, when the husband loves the wife selflessly, Gives Himself for her Loves her, loves her, loves her, loves her Unconditionally She receives receives it She responds to it And she returns it back to the husband To the children And to the family And that little agape Is amplified in her and caused her to have so much love, she's willing to lay down her lives for the entire family. Oh, come on, go ahead and give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so, man, this coming Friday, I wish I could join you, but I won't. But I want to encourage you this. All the guys to listen. All we need. It's just one kilowatt of love. Agape, selfless love deposited to our wives. It will go into her deep in her soul through her amplifier and it will come back to you a hundred megawatt of love. It will be love enough for the whole family, for you, your children, for everything you ever need of her in her, in her life. Come on, give the Lord a big clap. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's why you need to walk in love. Come on, tell them that. (laughs) So can you make some adjustments? Can we adjust our walk and decide we're going to walk in love? We're going to walk in love for God. We're going to walk in love for our wives, for our husbands, for our children. We're going to walk in love for one another in the house of God we cannot love each other in the church. Number two, and this is my main point, that is just my introduction after a long break. Number two, we need to adjust our works. So tweak a little bit. Tweak a little bit. We are some of the hardest working people. I mean, City Harvest people are famous around the world for excellence and hard work. Now, as Singaporeans, you're already hard working. As As Singaporean students, you're already hardworking. But as members of Singaporean members of City Harvest Church, you are ultra. Oh, come on, you want to clap, give the Lord a big clap, right? Hallelujah. You're ultra. But if you want to dwell in His presence, you've got to make some adjustments in the way You work the way we work. Now, John 15 verse 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So it's impossible, not possible to abide in Christ and do nothing and have no fruit. It's impossible to abide in Christ and not become a productive person in life. Now, let's look again. Psalms 15, verse 1 and 2. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Now, the first one we saw already, he who walks uprightly, and then he who works righteousness. So when our walk is changed, our works will be changed. Now, that doesn't mean you work to earn your salvation. I know some of you work so hard. You work so hard for God. You work so hard in life. And the very mention of the word work causes you to cringe. Let me say this. Nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing that we can do will ever produce righteousness. Nothing. Not even our soul winning. And by the grace of God, I have led a lot of people to Jesus Christ. But not even all my soul winning can produce an ounce of righteousness. Not even all our serving in church. Not even all our helping people. Not even all the good things we do. Nothing can produce righteousness that will earn our salvation or take us to heaven. Only God is righteous. Righteous. And unless He confers upon us, imputes upon us, gives us His righteousness, we are totally lost. We are without hope for eternity. But what Psalms chapter 15 is saying is not for the unsaved, unchurched to come into salvation in Christ. Psalms 15 is talking about the Christian. He's talking about the believer that are born again. So now that God's righteousness has already worked in you, you must get involved in the works of righteousness. Alright? God's righteousness has now worked in you. You must now get involved in the works of righteousness. But let me say this. Working never makes us Spiritual. In fact, I've seen a lot of Christians that work, work, work so hard for God at the end of their lives they develop a really nasty attitude. Some lose their spirituality. You know, some work so hard. Some of the most unspiritual people I've met are people serving God full time. Of course, not in this church. Working never makes us spiritual. But if we are spiritual, we will indeed be found working. Because if Christ abides in me, I will produce fruit. Philippians 2 verse 12 is an interesting verse that a lot of us are very fearful of. But let me explain this to you. Philippians 12 verse 12, verse 12 to verse 13. Working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works In you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, Paul was writing, or the Bible was talking to the Philippian Christians. Again, those who are already born again. Are they Christians? Yes, they were. Are they spirit filled? Absolutely. Okay? Now, that means we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about you have a problem. You are a Christian, you're already saved. You have a problem in life, problem in your career, problem in your health, problem in your marriage, problem in your finances. Okay? You need to save a situation. Things are going out of whack in your, in your business. you got to save the situation. Things are going wrong at home. You need to save the marriage. you got to save something. So, what the Bible is saying you need to work out a solution in the power of God. Trusting that Jesus is working in you to make the right choices. He's working in you to do the right thing. So work out your own salvation. For it is God who works in you, both to will, you will make the right choices, and to do, you will do the right thing for His good pleasure. Now, the phrase, work out your salvation, your solution. Do you know in the Greek, it's a mathematical word? It's a mathematical word. It's a word of mathematics. It's like you solve a problem in your maths. You solve a problem. So sometimes to solve it, you need to multiply. You need multiplication. And the Bible talks about multiplying grace and peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Sometimes to solve a problem, you need to be more gracious. Sometimes to solve a problem, you need the shalom of God, the peace of God to come in. Sometimes to solve a problem, you need to have addition. If you need to add something, add it to solve the problem. Add to your faith, the Bible says, virtue other things add to it you may need to add some dimension into the problem your family in your career tonight solve it you can solve it God is going to give you the right choices God is gonna give you the right power but you may need to add something when subtraction is required subtract Colossians 3 8 says now you yourselves are to put off all these Anger, wrath, malice. Sometimes you just gotta take off certain things. Subtract certain things in your life that's not gonna solve the problem for you. You're in a red, bad partnership, you're in a bad relationship. Subtract it. Because it's not gonna solve your problem. Sometimes division becomes part of the process. You have multiplication addition subtraction division look look in the bible the division between paul and barnabas was it a good thing or a bad thing on the surface it was a bad thing but what god or what the devil meant for evil god turned it around for his good so paul picked his own partner he picked silas timothy right barnabas picked john mark immediately the missionary effort in the early church doubled the division was a good thing. Sometimes, if division is needed, just divide. The point here is this. We have to keep on working on the problem until we get a solution. And Paul is saying this. God will provide all the grace that you need. But you must apply the grace to your situation and solve that problem. You know, as, as a pastor, one of the happiest moments in ministry for me is marrying young couples. You know what? This is one of the best things in my job. Usually a lot of things are not so fun, but marrying is fun. Because you know why? Um, for a man and a woman, nothing in their lives, you will find them beaming with more happiness and joy than on their wedding day. Oh, I tell you, on their wedding day, it, that... that The inner beauty, the the joy, the the love, the happiness. It just radiates out of them in an amazing way. And then they will make their pledges. And I have done hundreds of weddings. And I can tell you it's always quite the same. But I'm just happy for them. And they always make pledges. Tears in their eyes. I found my soulmate. You are the one that I want. I'll never be happy without you. Our lives are so perfect, so intertwined. We are perfectly blended with one another. And I stand on the stage and smile. Sometimes there are a little bit of tears and in my heart I say, oh boy, oh boy, just you wait. <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> and it's not tears of joy, but just tears of sadness. <laughs> yes, sure. God has put in each, each one of, of, of the couple, the ingredient to meet each other's needs. That's why they got married. They like each other's company. They like what each other's saying. They like how each other looks. They like how each other smells. They, they like one another. That's the perfect ingredient for them to come together. But I can tell you this, it will take a whole lifetime for all the ingredients to come to a perfect blend. A marriage, honestly, is a journey, never a destination because you never arrive. (laughs) And marriage is a very complex problem. It takes a lot of addition and subtraction and multiplication and sometimes division. It takes a lot of doing, a lot of living, a lot of understanding, a lot of working together. That's why you got to Work hard to make a marriage work. Same with God. We are married to Him. Christ, our husband. We are abiding in Christ. Right, this few weeks, I'm going to talk about abiding with Christ, or in Christ. Abiding in God. Abiding in Christ. He's the husband. We are the wife. The only difference here is, God doesn't change. He's perfect. So, who is going to change to make this a perfect blend? You and I. <laughs> He's not going to change. <laughs> so God says, make the adjustments. Work out the necessary changes. And he gives us the abundance of his love to motivate us. But we must do the adjusting. So tonight, I want to talk about three levels of working a service where we, we need to make some adjustments. If we want to come to an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And they are found in one chapter, very easy. First Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, just go with me to 1 Corinthians 3. There are three levels of working here. Three levels of doing things. Three levels of service. And each one is progressively higher and higher. So you come closer and closer. Who may abide in your tabernacle, in your holy hills? Who may dwell in your presence? So these are some of the things we can do. First level, we do things for God. We do things for God. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, it says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe as the Lord gave to each one? I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So one man plowed the field for God. One man, what did he do? He plants the seed for God. Another person waters the field for God. You're doing things for God. You're working for God. All done by us, but for Him. We are His workmen we are His laborer, we are His gardener, doing the work to produce the harvest. Working for God is a good thing, but it has a major weakness. It makes us very much need-oriented. And I don't want to sound like I'm contradicting ourselves because one of the slogans that we love in City Harvest Church is to find a need and meet it. The only downside of working for God is that it makes us very need-oriented. We are moved by a need. So you see a lot of poor people. You see a lot of needy people. You see a lot of people with marriage problems. You see a lot of people going through spiritual struggles. You see a lot of people going through very difficult times. We are moved by the need momentarily. Then... We go to the Bible to find what the Bible says. The Bible says, oh, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Bible says, oh, he who lends to the poor gives to the Lord. The Bible says, you know, I mean, uh, what is true and faithful religion? Those that take care of the needs of the naked. And, and so we, we find a Bible verse. Hallelujah. It authorizes what we want to do. It authenticates what we want to do. So, we saw a need. We go to the Bible. The Bible says it's a good thing. Alright, let's do it. Let's start a ministry. Why? The need is the call. And that's where we get into trouble. Personally, I don't believe the need is the call. Because the problem here is needs are everywhere. And needs are endless. Even Jesus Christ Himself says, the poor you have with you always. That means we are always surrounded by needs. Always. And if Jesus Christ was need-oriented, He would never have gone to the pool of and healed only one man who had the infirmity for 38 years. Because there were Hundreds there that day waiting for the water to stir. There were hundreds there pitiful and pleading, heal me, somebody heal me, somebody heal me. And Jesus just healed one. And He walked off. See, Jesus was not directed by need or even by compassion, although He was a very compassionate Savior. He was directed by the voice of His heavenly Father. Jesus didn't always feed the multitude. One time He fed 5,000. Another time He fed 7,000. That's about it. He didn't always heal the sick. He healed every sick person that came to Him, but He didn't go around healing every sick one out there. He didn't always cast out demons. Why? Why? He wasn't need-oriented. He was obedience-oriented. He was Father-oriented. He came to reveal the Father. And if by meeting a need brings about a revelation of God the Father, He'll be there to meet the need. But if meeting the need will hinder the revelation of God the Father, He wouldn't do it. He'll just walk right on by. In the same way Jesus Christ didn't commission us to burn ourselves out or to push ourselves to death by meeting all the needs around us. And I know, I'm speaking as a senior pastor of possibly, in my opinion, one of the top five hardest working church in the world. Honestly, I can only think of one other church that works harder than us. What He has commissioned us to do is to reveal God the Father to the whole world. Day in, day out, my wife, son, and I, we counsel leaders who have been serving God so faithfully for so many years. And they are burned out. They felt stuck. Because at one point in their lives, they were motivated by compassion. The need is the call. Went and checked the Bible. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Bam! They went ahead. Serve, 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 serve. For years and years and years. And they come to a place they feel that they cannot move on anymore. So they need to take a break. Pastor, pastor, even our members can take a break. What about us? We are meeting the needs of so many people who will meet my need. Day in, day out, we hear Christ like this. Listen, there's a very fine line between being need oriented need oriented and you're always need oriented and suddenly you tip over and you're no longer need oriented you're need controlled because all of a sudden you have no choice needs everywhere night and day whether is it your office in your work in your job or in the ministry in a family. And when you become need control or need controlled, we automatically, we get out of control. We find ourselves running on a never-ending treadmill, pushing, pushing, running, running, and yet not going anywhere. That's not God's best for us. That's not God's best for you. But that's the first level. You're working for God. You're working for God but there's a second level which is a higher level, a better way. It's not working for God. We do things with God. We do things with God. First Corinthians 3 verse 9, it says, for we are laborers together with God. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1, we then as workers together with Him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So instead of just working For God, you work with God. Turn your neighbor on your left and right and say, you got to work with him. Yeah, okay. Now, you can join a new company. Take for example, on the first day of work, the HR person comes to you and say, welcome to our new company. Our boss is Mr. XYZ. Here is the company's manual. Boom. Give you a 500-page manual. Follow the instruction and you'll do fine. So you work for the company. You work for your boss. You never get to meet him, but you work hard for him. I mean, first day of job, right? Now your boss is really a nice guy. Really, really nice guy. And he's the best in the business. One day, he came to you. He said, you know what? I've been watching you from a distance. You have a lot of promise. I want you on my team. Why don't you work with me? I'll train you on the job. You just follow me. What I ask you to do, you just do it. You can work with me. Now, which one is better? Working for the boss or working with the boss? Of course, working with the boss is better. Some of you are, this is not a very difficult question. Hello? <laughs> hey, guys, this is not a very difficult question. Working with the boss, of course, is better. Let me, let me give you an example. If you work for the boss, you take responsibility. You know that? You follow up your sack. You work with the boss, he takes all responsibility. <laughs> if things follow up, it's his fault. You just work with him. True? Yeah? Jesus gave us one of the most paradoxical promises or promises, one of the most paradoxical promises in the Gospel. And I want you to wrap your mind around this. Matthew 11, verse 28, 29. Can we all read this together? Because this is so paradoxical. Let's all say together. Verse 28, starting now. "'Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest.'" take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest in your souls. Now, how many of you agree taking the analogy of working in a company with a boss? How many of you agree Jesus is the boss that could ever be? Yeah? Jesus is the best boss there is. How many of you agree Jesus is the best boss? Just wave your hands, okay? Jesus is the best boss. And He's the best in the business. He's the best in creation. He's the best in healing. He's the best in deliverance. He's the best in provision. He's the best in wisdom. Jesus Christ is the best there is in everything. He now says to you, why don't you join my team? Don't work for me. Work with me. If you work with me, you will find rest. Now I know just, let me tell you why just now you're so hesitant. Working with a boss is better or working for the boss is better because some of you are thinking, man, my boss is so intense. I work with him, I have no life. (laughs) That's why you all were hesitant. I know that. I know that because it's the same way in City Harvest Church. (laughs) Even though the boss is really a nice guy. (laughs) All my leaders in front, all of you. Jesus says, if you join my team and you work with me, you will find rest. Wow. How can I rest when I'm working with a boss like Jesus? A God who neither sleep nor slumber, who never takes off. (laughs) How? He doesn't go on leave. He's on call 24-7. And let me tell you something about yokes. Yokes. Now, can I have two men? Can I just have two other guys to come up? Uh, uh, Someone, maybe Joseph and Minghao Hao, just come for a moment? I- imagine both of you are oxen. Can you just come to the front, just and bend, bend up? Yeah, just come. Okay, come, come, stand closer. Okay, you are yoked together. Okay, come, come, come. Hold, hold, oxen. Hold, hold this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you don't need to hold Yeah, just hold this. Okay. Now, your, so this is like a yoke. So two oxen. Now, if they are yoked together, everywhere, okay, Joseph, can you just move? Just move to your right. Just walk, 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 walk. walk. He has to follow. how will have to follow. Okay, Hao, turn, turn the other side. Uh, that's why I just stop for a moment. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. Because if, if this guy wants to go this way, this girl wants to go this way, what's going to happen? Life is going to be hard. Yeah? Yeah? If, 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 if this person wants to worship this God, this person wants to worship this God, life is going to be hard. In business, if this guy wants to invest in this project, this guy said, no, this project is bad. I want to invest. It's going to be hard. So, but here, the Bible says, we are yoked to Jesus Christ. Now, a yoke is an implement for work. Now, I'm not going to stress them out. Let's give them a big clap. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Okay? Yeah, thank you. Yoke is for working two animals together. It's not for resting. Now, you got to understand, when Jesus says rest, it doesn't mean doing nothing. It means to work so smart, and so it effectively, you use less of human effort and use more divine power. That means you're not running on your own battery. You're running on God's energy. So while you're working, you find rest. You find joy. Working smarter, not working harder. So if we put our neck On the yoke with Jesus Christ, He's gonna lead us. He's gonna direct us. He's gonna guide us. That means, and and Jesus says, You learn of me. You're gonna learn how I work. If you're on my team and you work with me, you're gonna learn how I'm like. You're not gonna learn about me. You're gonna learn of me. Learn of me, He says. Well, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I'm really a good boss. And you will find rest for your souls. That means if we are yoked together, we move when He moves. We run when He runs. But you're going to find He doesn't run all the time. We walk when He walks. We turn when He turns. We stop when Jesus stops. In the mid 1980s, I was starting out. I was working in the an Anglican Church. By the grace of God, I came up with a youth program that was very effective for youth evangelism. You see, my pastor at that time, Canon James Wong, went to America and got hold of some teachings and videotapes on rock music and bad word masking. So this takes me back to 85, 86, 87, and. I use, I compile all these things together. You know, certain, you know, there are certain rock songs. If you play it backwards, you hear something very interesting. For example, you know, sometimes, so in those days, we all have cassettes. So what I did was I went back and I flipped the cassette over and played backwards. And then you hear sometimes profanities, blasphemy against God. You hear the extolling of the devil. So I kind of used this as a means to introduce the young people to the world of the Spirit, the world of God and demons. And I used that as a means for evangelism. It was very effective. Everywhere I went, I I showed this program, hundreds would get saved. I did that for about two years, and then one day, I felt the Lord told me, Jesus told me, He said, Kong, enough. Don't do it anymore. You know, I resisted that. I said, God, I really pray. I really got this from you. You were the one that asked me to do it. I got your grace. I got the anointing. People are responding. Other youth pastors in the city, in Singapore, Malaysia, they're copying. They're stealing my, my, my materials and going to all the youth groups to do it. But I felt the Lord told me. He said, look, I don't want you to keep doing this. I want you to be a preacher, not just a video broadcaster. (laughs) I felt the the glory lifted from this program and I stopped. I stopped. Something that worked so well because when Jesus stops, we stop. And when He rests, we rest. Jesus doesn't go all out continuously. I want you to know that. He doesn't go all out all the time. Sometimes, Jesus Christ doesn't seem to be doing anything at all. That's why some of you are so confused. Where are you, Lord? Why aren't you doing anything? (laughs) Often, He's not doing anything. Sometimes, Jesus says, let's go away and have a rest. Sometimes, He makes me lie down on green pasture. So when we are yoked to Him, we must be comfortable or as comfortable in not doing anything. If He's not doing it, I'm not doing it. If He's not involved, I'm not involved. As long as my senior partner Isn't doing anything, I'm not going to do it. He's the boss. We are his trainees. But when we are working for God, the response is to a need. And the needs are so great. When you satisfy one need, there are thousands of other needs crying out for your attention. But when we are working with God, our response is not to the need, but to the partner the one we are yoked to, and the responsibility is fully His. If He works, we work. If He rests, we rest. If He stops, we stop. If He sees a vision, we see the same vision that He sees. We should be so yoked to Jesus Christ when people look at us they don't just see us, they see Jesus. Because that's exactly what happened in the early church. Acts 4.13. They saw the bonus of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, untrained men. And they marveled. Shock! And they realized they had been with Jesus. We can do things for God. We can do things with God. But what is the highest level? And with this last point i bring this message to so a close. The third level, the highest level, we can do things unto God. Unto God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Same chapter, all three points are from 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? So here, Paul uses the picture of a temple. Now, a temple has three parts. The outer court, you're working for Him. You're ministering for Him. You come to the holy place, you're working with Him. But when you come to the holy of holies, there's nothing else and there's no one else. Everything you do, your ministry is unto God. The truth is, God wants us to minister unto Him. When we minister unto Him, we can get yoke and minister with Him. And if He chooses to send us out on our own, we'll find that we can effectively work for Him. We are the temple of God we in. So worship, temple speaks of worship. Ministry unto God speaks of worship. Worship must happen continuously. If you want to abide in God's presence, it must happen continuously in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit. Worship is intimate fellowship. It's close communion. It is an emotional exchange. A piece of me is given to God and a piece of Him is given to us. That's what worship is. If you want to abide in God's presence, we express our highest and our deepest devotion unto the Lord. You see, worship lifts up the worshipper to the level of the one worshipped. Let me say that again. Worship lifts up the worshipper, you and I, to the level of the one we worship. It lifts up to a level of God. So we, be, we get transformed. We are changed. We become more like him. Just think about Saul of Tarsus. Very religious man. Very sincere, but sincerely wrong. He was zealous, on fire. He was more zealous and on fire than any other man of his generation. An expert in the Old Testament. He was actively working for God but feared and dreaded by all. Everyone's afraid of Paul. On his way to Damascus, he supernaturally met Jesus Christ. One encounter and his life was forever yoked with Jesus. So now he's abiding in Christ. He's working with Christ. Yeah? He became an outstanding missionary with God. But as he worked with Jesus, he was introduced to God, the Heavenly Father. From that moment, something changed in Paul. He thoroughly enjoyed the fellowship with the Father. He became a worshiper. You find in his letters, it's always full of thanksgiving, full of praises. Full of I thank God in all my remembrance of you. I praise the Lord for what He has done. He's always worshipping. And in that process, He was taken up to the third heaven. He became a man of revelation. Having touched God, He got so much of God, He could touch the whole world. And this is where I feel in this season, in our spiritual journey as a church, We've been working for God. Let's work more with God. But even better still, let's minister unto Him. And next week, I'm so glad we're going to have a weekend of worship because we're going to fall in love with Jesus and rise up to that love. We're going to rise to love in Jesus. Well, come on, give the Lord a big clap. Come on, singers and musicians to come. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand. Oh, hallelujah. Give Him praise, give Him praise, give Him praise, give Him praise. So three things you'll learn tonight. Working for God, working with God. But the highest is working unto God. Not working, but ministering. Shall we all stand out on our feet tonight? Hallelujah. Let's just all talk
1: in tongues for a moment. Let's stir up our inner man. Let's draw near to the Lord right now. Shuduriya <laughs> karabahadeam just forget about people on your left and right. Just put aside everything. Just begin to worship him. Shuduria la carabahadia la carabahadia. Shuduria la carabahadia la carabahadia. Shuduria la carabahadia la carabahadia la carabahadia la carabahadia la carabahadia. Hallelujah.
2: Can I sing you a song? Can I pour out my heart To see your love is healing me Just a glimpse of your grace And my whole world is changed Forever and completely I'm in love
1: lose our worship our love our all for him worship should not be work
0: it should not be something that another thing to add on to your never-ending
1: agendas just worship him minister to him you know this week this week I I was just thinking that
0: man uh, it's time for me to rebuild the church I got to prepare Bible study materials. I got to meet people. I got to counsel. I got to start having pastoral meetings. So many things I I wanted to do. And then one of the
1: nights, son came to me and son said, you know what Kong, I've been praying and said, God give me a vision that you shouldn't be Thinking about just rebuilding the church, preparing materials, going for this meeting, that meeting. He said, God wants you to take a time, take time aside to rest, to pray, to spend time in His presence. Because there are a lot of things that He wants to speak to you. And when she said that, I just felt the Lord just, the Holy Spirit just touched me very deeply. That's the Word of God for me. So pastor is preaching to myself tonight. But
0: you know what? We are people of vision. We are people that want to do great things for God. That's why we work so hard for Him. But let's not be need-oriented. Let's be yoked to Jesus. Let's be sensitive to Him.
1: let's just worship him how many of you want to be even more true uh, a true worshiper of god just put up your hands tonight why don't we just sing another song yeah special blessing and grace to come upon every single one of us in this room tonight, this arena tonight. Shudhuri ala karabahariya, Shudhuri Father, come by your Holy Spirit, come by your refreshing. Shudhuri Allah karabahariya ala we want to dwell in your presence, we want to abide, we want to abide, we want to abide. Lord, so many tired bodies tonight in this room. In your house, so many weary souls. Lord, we've been working hard for you. Lord, we've been working with you. Now, Lord, we want to minister unto you. Jesus, come. Come by your refreshing. Come, rivers of living water. Shuduri Allah karaba hadriya Allah karaba hadriya Shuduri Allah karaba hadriya Allah karaba hadriya Shuduri a big cloud tonight. die you to end this
0: meeting. We are giving you a chance to respond to Jesus. But maybe tonight um, it's been quite a long night. Maybe you don't need to come
1: forward to the front. But where you are standing by the seats, I want every eye to be closed and every head to be bowed.
0: How many of you, you have never invited Jesus to come into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior? Tonight the presence of God
1: is here. God wants to save your soul, wash you clean pour his love into your being tonight you say Jesus I do not want to be a sinner forgive me of all my sins I want to be a child of God my heavenly father tonight if that's you when I count to three I want you to lift up
0: your hands secondly you could be a backslider maybe like what I preached tonight you work so hard for God until you burn out until you, you become bitter in life And life sometimes can be tough and challenging. But because of circumstances, because you work so very, very hard, you become very, very dry.
1: God seems so far away. Tonight, God wants to draw you back into His presence. Jesus loves you. He is for you.
0: He will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you are a backslider, Tonight, when I count to three, I want you to lift up your hands. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer where you're standing by your seats. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. But if that's you, wherever you are, while eyes are closed and heads are bowed, no one's looking, please. When I count to three, you want Jesus
1: Christ to forgive your sins. You want to come back from your backsliding. When I count to three, I want you to lift up your hands high enough so I could see, and God could see.
0: And tonight, we're going to pray the miracle prayer. So get your hands ready. Every sinner, every backslider on the count, three, lift up as high as you can. One, two, three. Lift up your hands all over this room. Straight up, please. Your hand, 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 your hand. I see your hand, your hand, your hand, your hand, your hand, your hand, your hand. All the way at the back, please. I see your hand, your hand, your
1: hand, your hand. Many, many of you put up your hands. Will you just put it down? Let's all say this prayer together out loud, wherever you are. Everyone in this arena, say, Dear Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Dear Lord Jesus
1: Christ. Come into my heart.
2: Come into my heart.
1: Forgive me of all my sins.
2: Forgive me of all my sins.
1: Restore my soul.
2: Restore my soul.
1: I'm coming back to you.
2: I'm coming back to you.
1: You are my Lord and my Savior. You
2: are my Lord and my Savior.
1: From this day.
2: From this day.
1: Let the Holy Spirit fill me.
2: Let the Holy Spirit fill me.
1: Let me dwell in your presence.
2: Let me dwell in your presence.
1: All the days of my life.
2: All the days of my life.
1: In Jesus' name I pray. In
0: Jesus' name I pray.
1: Amen. 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 Let's give God a big clap right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's give all those that lift up their hands a big clap. Hallelujah.
0: And that's the end of this week's podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Email us at connect at chc.org.sg.